Good morning, Greater Alton. Woo, you folks sound good and awake. That must be all the ladies speaking because the guys from the men's retreat are not awake. We have been speaking. Tim started a series uh, a couple weeks back on good news for a change. And we are talking about, about the gospel. And the gospel simply means good news. And so we, we wanted to talk about the gospel that can change lives. And, and, and also, we want to talk about the gospel more accurately. You know, Tim asked me last week, he said, we want, Gary, I want you to speak about the resurrection. And I spoke about that last week. And as I shared, guys, the resurrection was central to the gospel and what people shared in the first century. You go read through the book of Acts, and you cannot ignore the fact that when they shared the gospel in the book of Acts, they talked about the resurrection. And it went so far as last week we, we talked about just four facts about the resurrection. And the, the last fact that I talked about was that if we're not talking about the resurrection, we're not sharing the gospel. You can't share the gospel without speaking about the resurrection. And we looked at three other facts. One of them was the fact that this belief in the resurrection, the hope in the resurrection, had been around for centuries. In fact, depending on uh, how you look at some of the prophecies in the Old Testament, it may have been mentioned even in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. Or I don't know if, I was inside, if they were punished inside or outside the garden. Do you know that? Does it matter? <laughs> it doesn't matter. But in, in Genesis 3, some people believe that when God is talking to the serpent, and He's saying that the seed of woman will crush your head, you'll strike at His heel, but He will crush your head, that, some, that it, it's implied there, the resurrection, because the penalty for their sin was death. And the resurrection says that penalty's gone now. And that's really cool. But guys, it was, it was around for centuries. It was an ancient belief. Um, second thing we looked at is that Jesus spoke about the resurrection as a reality. When you look at what Jesus has to say about the resurrection, there was no question in his mind. He only speaks about it two or three, three or maybe four times. But in each of those situations, he doesn't question it. He says, at the resurrection, this is what it'll be like. He says, you know, another time he's telling people that they're going to be rewarded. They won't get a reward in this life, but they will be, get a, res, a reward in the resurrection or at the resurrection. So he spoke about it as a reality. And then the, uh, the last fact that we talked about there was that Jesus' resurrection proved the resurrection. You see, most of the time when we talk about the resurrection or somebody mentions the resurrection, I would venture that the, the majority of us, and not all of us, or most, almost all of us, think about Jesus' resurrection. When you look in the book of Acts and they talk about the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection is included in that. Jesus' resurrection is proof of the resurrection. And that's very exciting because we're going to get to be a part of the resurrection. And if you believe in Jesus' resurrection, that is what you're hoping for. And I encourage you to go back and read 1 Corinthians 15. It's an excellent commentary, the most thorough place to understand about the resurrection and how Jesus' resurrection is part of that and how you cannot have one without the other. And it goes so far as to say 
that if there is no resurrection, we are to be pitied and our faith is useless. Now that's pretty challenging. That makes the resurrection pretty central to being a Christian, does it not? I mean, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and you don't believe in the resurrection, your faith is futile is what it says. That's what it says. And so guys, it's something we have got to give attention to. And it's my personal desire, my personal goal to see us as a church, as a group of people who are committed to following Jesus, that we, number one, come to a greater understanding. And number two, that we talk about it more. And so guys, that's what we talked about last week. I encourage you, if you want to listen to that, that's available online as all of those sermons are, both the notes from the bulletin as well as the audio of what goes on there. And uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But today, what we're going to be talking about is we're just going to do a follow-up. Uh, Tim and I talked after I was studying for last week. I said, then we've got to do a follow-up on this. I don't know if we want to do it next week or if we want to do it, uh, uh, you know, whenever. But we've got to do a follow-up on this because we just looked about facts about the resurrection and how we should think it's important and how it's a part of the gospel. But there's some practical implications to the resurrection. And Tim and I discussed it, and I said, I think we ought to do it. And Alan agreed. He said, we ought to do it next week. And Tim looked at me. He says, do you sure you want to do that next week? You know, you got a lesson at the men's retreat. I said, no, I think I'll be fine. I'm questioning that right now. I'm questioning that right now. I question that about Wednesday. But I believe God wants us to hear about it, so I've following through on that commitment, we're going to be talking about it. Um, and things will be different. Tim, last night at the men's retreat at the Devo, he says, I'm really, ch-, he goes, I'm using two electronic devices. Tim had his iPhone and his iPad because he had stuff on one that he couldn't get on the other and stuff on the other he couldn't get on the one. And so he had to use both. And so this morning I got up, as I always do before I speak, and I pulled out my iPad and I'm going to work on my notes. You see, I do them on my my, my laptop at home, and then I email them to myself, and then I work on them. I thought, this is great. I, I'll work on it. There's no Wi-Fi down there. I did not have my notes on my iPad. So I'm going at it with my phone today, because this is where my notes are at. And so I'm a little challenged, a little out of my comfort zone, but there we go. Anyway, guys, when you look at the resurrection, first thing I wanted to talk about, there's many unanswered questions concerning the resurrection. If you give this serious, any serious study of your own, and I, I'm, I'm asking you to, okay, I think you should, there are some unanswered questions. The first one is, when is it going to happen? We don't know for sure. We really don't know. The next one is, how does it happen? And all kinds of questions surrounding that. You know, we have a, a little bit of a picture of it in Ezekiel 37, where God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to dead bones. And he watches the bones clatter and come together. And then muscles and, and tendons and, and ligaments join them together. And then breath come into them. And he's saying, this is what the resurrection is going to be like. And that, but a lot of people have a lot of other questions. How does this all play out? What if somebody drowns at sea? You know? And they're eaten by the fish. Well, they're not the dust of the ground anymore. I don't know how that works. All I know is God is, more, God is powerful enough to make it happen. To bring that body back to life. It brings in the question of, well, some people have brought in the question of, well, should I be cremated or not? 
again, it goes back to, I think it's pretty clear, I mean, when you're cremated, you become ashes or dust. And that's what God refers to us. Is that when we come from the dust, we return to the dust, He's going to resurrect us out of the dust. And there's a lot of questions about that. Then uh, another question that comes up a lot is whether we are going to have physical bodies or if we're going to have spirit bodies. Meaning, we're going to be in disembodied spirit like we would nor might picture a ghost to be. Okay, there's a question about that, what that means. And that comes from 1 Corinthians 15. Where, and we're going to be talking about that here very briefly. Where it talks about uh, there's physical bodies, there's natural bodies, and then there are also spiritual bodies. And what does that exactly look like? We, we don't completely understand. Some people believe, and it's a question that surrounds it, that Jesus had the new, the new body after His resurrection. Some people look at that. Other people look at that and go, no, I don't think that's true. So there's a lot of questions around it. I don't know how much it really matters. You know, as I was, spoke last week, or as I thought about preparing for this, I don't want to dig into a lot of the controversial. And a lot of guys, when, when you, and this is just a general rule, when you're studying the Bible and you find something that's controversial, I believe you should go back and look at everything that's obvious on the topic first. Okay? Because number one, the controversial or the unclear will never contradict the clear. You use what God has clearly said to interpret or to understand what is not as clear. Alright? And that's what, that's the approach I'm taking here today. Um, and what we want to talk about. So with that in mind, if you look at this first scripture here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and this is what I was talking about. It says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now as I just talked about, this is the passage of Scripture where people look at it and say, what's our body going to be like? Natural, we're going to be a spirit. You know, the old sitting on the clouds, you know, strumming your harp. Uh, we're going to be a spirit body. Guys, I don't know exactly what the new body is going to look like. I don't know everything the differences are. are. I'm just excited that I'm going to get a new body. Okay? I rode uh, down to the men's retreat and back with Charlie Louvier. You know, Charlie has a back problem and he's got a few other problems. And I'm 53 and i got news for you. i got problems. And I've grown over the last few years. I'm excited about having a new body. Because the Bible's very clear. This body is wasting away. You know that? I mean, it is. You know, Alan and I speak regularly and I say, I hold out the hope that I can regain some of my youth. You know, that I can lose my belly, that I can stand to jog or bicycle or walk, you know, a great distance. But the truth of the matter is, even if I do that, if my schedule allows and I get disciplined enough to do those things, this body's still headed for the grave. It is on the downhill slide, and there is no way for me to get away from that. And I like the idea of I'm going to have a new body. What's it going to be like? I'm not entirely sure. Is it going to be like Jesus's, you know, 
where after he resurrected, he's able to appear through, just appear, dare I say, beam himself into locked rooms? I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know if it's going to be like that, but I know I'm going to get a new one. But when you look at this passage, and there's going to be two articles that are going to be linked on my notes at the website, because I want you to be able to look at this. Guys, when you look at this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about having a natural body and a spiritual body. This is one of the situations where when you go back and you look at the original Greek language and how the words are translated, it doesn't really do it justice. And I don't understand Greek all that well, but there's a couple articles that that were written by folks who do, and what they're talking about is that they're talking about an adjective to describe our body. And the adjectives that are describing it don't translate real well. In the Greek, the adjective comes after the noun, correct? And in ours, it comes before. And I only know that because I'm looking at that when I know it's opposite. But guys, what it is talking about in here, you know, you can, it's very easy to look at this on the surface and say physical body, spirit body. And what it is referring to is what drives the body, what motivates the body. Our natural body, you know what it's inclined towards? It's inclined towards sin. That's why a lot of times, when our, in some translations of the Bible, they were talking about our sinful nature, they translate it the flesh. Our bodies are driven by the desire to sin in a, in, in a number of ways. Where guys, you're saying our new body is going to be powered by, driven by the Holy Spirit. You see, right now, and we're going to look at this in a minute, we have the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've been baptized, you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. And that is wonderful, as we're going to be speaking about. But our body isn't real well suited for that. Did you know that? It's not. If you look in Galatians chapter 5, and this is in your notes, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. And you see, guys, what is going on right now as a follower of Jesus with the Holy Spirit inside me? There is a conflict. Because I have made a very conscious decision with my head that I want to follow Jesus. I have made a very conscious decision with my head that I want to bear the fruits of the Spirit, that I want to be led by the Spirit. And so a natural conclusion might be that then I'm perfect, right? I have the desire. I have the Holy Spirit inside me. I should be perfect. I should do no wrong. How many of y'all believe that? My wife didn't raise her hand. Guys, it's just the truth. Why? There's a conflict in me. Though I want to do what's right, I don't always do it. Anybody else relate to that? You go read Romans 7. 7 is, Romans 7 is a commentary on Galatians 5. Okay, Let me say there's a section in Romans 7 that's a commentary on this. where The Apostle Paul saying, I don't do what I want. I want to do what's right, but I can't carry it out. I plan on doing what's right, but I don't do it. No, the wrong that I don't want to do, 
That I keep on doing. And anybody that's a real, that's a follower of Jesus understands that conflict. You understand, I can't do everything I want. You see, the good part about it is we have a choice. But guys, the Holy Spirit is, it says it is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. That's in both 2 Corinthians, I believe, 5 earlier in the chapter, and also in Ephesians 1. You see, that's what it's saying. The Holy Spirit is... Right now there's a conflict inside of us. We can't do what we want. We can't live the way we want 100% of the time. There's a conflict, and that conflict is going to exist until we die. And But when we're resurrected, that conflict is not going to exist. And that's exciting to me. And the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. What does that mean? I just told you, I don't always do what I want. I don't always follow the Holy Spirit. But guess what? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. And I get to taste what it's going to be like in the resurrection. Look at this passage. If you've got your Bibles, you want to open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to read this to you. It's the first five verses of 2 Corinthians 5. It says, For we know that if the, early, the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the One who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You see, guys, the life we live right now is a taste of what it will be like at the resurrection. And it's my personal belief. I don't understand it completely, and it's a whole other topic. But I believe we're proving to God if we really want to live that way for eternity right now. How much do we listen? If we don't listen to the Holy Spirit in our lives right now, I believe those are the people that Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 7 where he says, not everyone who claims, calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only him who does the will of my Father in heaven. We are living, we have the chance to be led by the Holy Spirit now to fulfill the desires of Jesus, to fulfill the desires of His, of his Father. And if we don't want to do that, I, that, that's kind of a side note, but I'm not sure that we're going to, I'm not sure where you stand on judgment if you're not willing to do that. And so guys, what we want to talk about is what does the Bible have to say? What are some practical implications of understanding and believing the resurrection? The first one that we want to talk, what's the practical implication of it is power. I'm sorry, again, the time thing and and me taking on too much, I don't have a cute little saying for this. But the practical implication is power. How many of it when you come to follow Jesus feel powerless sometimes? Feel weak? 
feel like you can't do what you want to do? You know, if you've had an addiction or some other kind of, I'm going to call it habitual or problem sin, you understand this. You feel weak. And I believe there's times when you feel powerless to do anything about it. I'm familiar with that. But guys, listen to this passage here in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. The riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty power He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Guys, who wants power? Who, want, who would like to have some more power in your life? You know, I think about, I think about the, uh, the movie, Bruce Almighty. Okay? And I think that it pretty well describes our struggle here. When you think about Bruce Almighty, I don't know if you've seen the movie or not, but in Bruce Almighty, it's, it's fiction, by the way, in case you don't know. I'll just make sure I'm prefacing this, that I'm not, nobody's thinking I believe this is true. But in the, Bruce, in the movie Bruce Almighty, Bruce gets mad at God, and God shows up and says, okay, I'm going to let you be God for a while. And he gets to be God, and he's walking around. Once God bestows this gift upon him, and you know they're singing this song, I got the power! You know, and he's doing everything he wants to do. He sees clothes on a mannequin, and he wants those clothes, and he just zaps his finger, and those clothes are on him, you know? And he... He wants to look up a girl's skirt, so he causes the wind to blow up the girl's skirt, you know. And he wants a more romantic evening with his girlfriend, and so he lassoes the moon and pulls it in closer, causing tsunamis, by the way. <laughs> but he's got the power. Now, guys, I don't know about you, but I think sometimes... Have you ever thought about what you would do if you had the power? If you had power like that? If you had the power to do things that you wanted to do. See, I think part of the reason we don't have power, we don't understand the power, is because we, we want to be selfish with it, like Bruce was. Okay? I mean, when you think about it, what would you do? Would you have a better job? Yeah? Would your, would your spouse treat you better? Okay? Would you get the winning lottery numbers? You know, I'm not saying you wouldn't do good things, but you would do what you want. And you see, guys, we need to understand that when it comes... Two, this power that this is talking about, we can't have power like that. It's power for something else. And I believe what it's talking about, let me read this passage to you in, in, in John chapter 14. This is what it's talking about, I believe. It says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in Me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in My name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask Me for anything in My name, and I will do it. Now when you read that, that sounds very clearly like God or Jesus is giving us the power to get whatever we want, doesn't it? And all we have to do is say, in Jesus' name, 
But that's not a formula there in John 9, in John 14. What it is, is it saying when it talks about in His name, the way you need to understand that is when you ask for what I would ask for, when you want what Jesus wants, you get, God will answer it. When you are, what you are asking for is agreeing for what Jesus wants, you'll get it. Fifteen years ago, I decided I wanted to be out of the auto glass business. And I thought God had opened the door for me to be out of the auto glass business. And I prayed, God, get me out of the auto glass business. I'm walking through the door. You are opening up. I am still in the auto glass business. And the truth of the matter was, guys, that wasn't what God wanted from me. You see, because God had some things that I needed to learn from the auto glass business. Guys, I didn't, he didn't give me that power. Now, when I started praying, God, show me what you want me to learn. In life period, he started showing me things that I need to learn from the auto glass business. And all of a sudden, guys, what was a burden became a powerful instrument of learning in my life. And guys, that's the kind of power that he's talking about here. Let me ask you. I mentioned it earlier, you know, addictions. I don't need a show of hands. But how many of you got a problem, sin? How many of you got something in your life that you would love to be gone? Or you're just embarrassed about how to deal with it? Okay, I don't know if it's pornography. I don't know if it's an addiction like drugs or alcohol. I don't know if it's lust. I don't know if it's laziness. I don't know if it's you're just mean to people and you realize it. I don't know what it is. Now, I believe with all my heart that every one of us has something like that that plagues us. At least early as our immature life and following Jesus, we have something that we can't control on our own. And guys, I believe that a lot of these sins plague us as followers of Jesus because we don't understand that there's power available to us. You see, guys, look at this other passage here in your notes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Guys, here's the situation. We have the power that rose Jesus from the dead available to us. And then here in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says we have the power to demolish strongholds. If we have this power, why do strongholds still exist in our lives? I believe it's because we don't understand how to use that power. We don't understand what it's all about. Guys, behind every sin, there is a wrong thought process. 
behind every sin. It may be, hey, I'm single and I'm never going to get married and I'm never... So I, I, it's okay for me to look at pornography. That may be your sin. That may be your wrong thought process. It may be your thought process that I've never been loved. And this makes me feel loved. Whether it's pornography or it's sex with someone you're not married to. It may be that there's this incredible pain in your life and you have an addiction. That that's the way you numb the pain. And that can be anything. That doesn't have to be just drugs or alcohol. That can be video games. That can be television. That can be overeating. There's anything we use to self-medicate to deal with the pain in our lives. But you see, guys, the root of all that, our habitual sin, our problem sin, isn't a matter of just the sin. And that's the problem with a lot of it, is that's how we address it. We address it as, I need to quit doing this. And we set up, maybe we set up rules for ourselves to help stay away from that. To stay away from the triggers that are going to trigger that sin in our life. And the problem is, then why the sin still shows up is because we haven't dealt with the thought process that's behind it. You see, that's what this is talking about. And he says, we have the power to demolish strongholds. He goes on to say, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. You see, when you, you, you have two thoughts here. You have God's and you have yours. And behind any sin, if you dig deep enough, what you're going to find is a thought process that disagrees with God. That's the way that works. The Holy Spirit in your life is designed to help you see the difference. I mean, it's a conflict. It is, it is, there is no doubt about it. But guys, how wonderful it is once you understand the power and you're able to say, I'm going to choose to listen to God. I'm going to choose to make this wrong thought be obedient to Jesus. That's what this is talking about. Now guys, it's not a matter of... I was watching this morning a uh, video that I'd only heard about before from Harry Potter. Is there, how, how, many of, how many of you have not seen the original Harry Potter movie? There's a few of you like me. Okay. I've only heard of this scene. There's a scene where the teacher in the class... You know, the, in Harry Potter, they're magicians, right? Again, it's fiction, guys. With, oh... Excuse me. Wizards. Wizards. <clears throat> I told you I haven't seen the movie. <clears throat> they're wizards. And they're off at school being instructed, and the teacher's there, and they've got uh, some wardrobe that's going to make their... When they open the wardrobe, their fear comes out. And he is teaching them this wonderful little trick. They stand there and they face their fear. And if, when each kid faces it, it's something different. For one, it's a gigantic spider. For another, it's, I don't even know what it is, it's a man. And they tell him he's the first one. It's some guy that he's afraid of. I don't know if it's a more powerful wizard or magician. I don't know what it is. I don't know. But he tells him, now listen, I'm going to open that wardrobe, but before that wardrobe opens up, I want you to think of, I think it's his aunt or somebody. Grandmother, thank you. And everything she wears right down to her red purse. And when the guy, when it opens up, he says, what I want you to do is, I want you to point your wand at him and say, ridiculous. 
And then all of a sudden the guy's dressed in his grandma's clothes. And basically what he's showing them is, guys, you have the power over your fears. You have the power over your fears. The one, there's one comes, girl, little girl standing there and his huge monster snake shows up. I mean, it's bigger than her, just right there in front of her. And she says, ridiculous. And he turns into a clown. And guys, the whole point of it is he's saying, look, your fears are baseless and you have power over them. Guys, I want to let you know, behind your sin, behind your struggle, is a thought that disagrees with God. And you have the power to recognize that and to make that thought obedient to Jesus if you'll listen to what His Holy Spirit has to say. Guys, you literally have that power. That is the most beautiful illustration in the world I've seen of what we're talking about here. When you start recognizing your thoughts that are wrong, you start, you can literally say ridiculous. Guys, I have, when I was a young man, I had a huge problem with lust. I wish I could say, I, I don't understand all this completely, but I am still tempted with lust. Now you want to know, if you're watching me, how you can see if I'm being tempted with lust and overcoming it, because you'll see me go, <laughs> I'll just laugh to myself. Because I find the temptation ridiculous anymore. I've said no so many times. I've recognized the lie behind it. I'm not going to give in to it. And I think it's ridiculous that it gets thrown up. Why does it keep getting thrown up? I can't answer you that. I do the same thing if I'm tempted to have a wrong thought about somebody else. If I'm thinking the worst about them. If I'm making a judgment about them based on their past. Or based on some selfish thought that I have and I recognize it as being wrong, I go, and I just smile and shake my head like, there it is again. I re recognize it. It's ridiculous. Guys, the resurrection, because Jesus resurrected from the dead, we have His Holy Spirit. And that same power that rose Him from the dead, we have available to us through His Holy Spirit. I find that to be a very practical implication of the resurrection. Second one, guys, we want to talk about is peace. Peace. In Philippians chapter 4, in verse 6 and 7, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Who would like to kiss worry goodbye? Yeah. Who would love to obey? I, I think if we could get everybody to obey three words that Jesus said, He said, do not worry. And he goes on and say, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Do not worry. Here, what does it say? Do not worry about anything. About anything. Guys, I believe this is one of the biggest things. that This is one of the things that I believe when we get it on straight, people are going to go, what you got? Why ain't you worried? 
Why don't why aren't you concerned? And you say, Because I don't need to be. Jesus told me not to be. He said, Well, but what if things go south for you? Don't you worry about that? Don't you worry about if your business goes south? And what if you end up having to lose your house? I'm not going to worry about that. Guys, I don't know what you worry about, but it says here we shouldn't worry about anything. And instead of worrying, we should pray about it and thank Him for what He's done. And then you're going to experience peace which exceeds anything we can understand. Guys, I believe this is huge. When you talk about the Holy Spirit leading you in your life, you want to know if the Holy Spirit is leading. This is, this is a very practical example of what we were just talking about. Okay? I didn't ask for a show of hands, but when I asked how many would like to have, not have any worries in your life, I saw a whole bunch of heads and hands nodding. Because it is so common. Because it is so tempting to do. And because you can worry without anybody really knowing about it. You know, or saying anything to you about it. You know, if you get drunk or if you drink a beer, somebody sees you, they're going to say something to you about it. And stay on you about it. But you can worry for years and years and years and people will leave you alone. Isn't that how that works? But guys, you need to understand, so many of you very readily were shaking your heads because you recognize worry in your life. Can I tell you that when you recognize that you're worrying, the next time you recognize you're worrying, you need to start looking for the wrong thought. And you need to look what God has to say on it. And you need to see the ridiculousness of the difference. Guys, very practically right now, Jesus has said, you know, I mean, the election is over. One of the big issues now is what's going to happen with health care. Again, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm guessing there's probably a few of you in this room that have a worry about health care. Or have had a worry about health care. Guys, number one, everyone in this room is going to die. <laughs> okay? You're not going to prevent it. You're going to hold it off a little bit. And I can't tell you how many people in this room have said, I can't look, I'm, they're looking forward to the resurrection. Let me put it that way. They're not ready to kill them. They're not ready to commit suicide, but they're looking forward to the resurrection. Guys, when you understand that, that, the, the, that everything we do here is about eternal life, not about what goes on here. It helps you let go of worrying about what's going on right here and now. What if I get sick and I don't have health insurance? You're closer to the resurrection than me. What happens if you, you die and you don't have life insurance? You're closer to the resurrection than me. Guy, the resurrection promised me something. I'm not going to worry about it. Guys, this is one of, you can have peace because of the resurrection. Guys, I spoke to uh, someone this week. Nobody here in the room. Nobody here in the room. Uh, a professed believer in Jesus Christ. 
And they, as I spoke to them, they acknowledged that they have no patience or very little patience. And they were uh, bemoaning, complaining, if you will, about their circumstances. And I was speaking to them and I was saying, look, you have an opportunity here to be more like Jesus. You have an opportunity here to bear the fruits of the Spirit. They resisted. I can't say that they completely turned their back on it because, I mean, you know, you don't know what person thinks after you talk to them. But they were resistant to that thought. And can I tell you, that's the way most of us are. When we first are recognizing what God wants us to think and what we think, we're resistant to it. And guys, I want to tell you, God wants you to have peace. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. And He does not want you to resist it. Third thing, guys, practically you can have from the resurrection is perspective. Perspective. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14, 17, and 18. This is what it says. Because we know that the One who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to Himself. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Guys, what troubles are you facing right now? What problems do you have? What circumstances eat you up that you worry about? Paul describes them here as light and momentary. Light and momentary. Guys, you see, you've got to understand that the resurrection puts our problems in perspective. I spoke with another friend from, from out of state this week, and he was talking about his golf buddy stopped by his office one day, and his golf buddy's ready to divorce his wife. And she's just fed up with it. He's ready for a divorce. And as he's talking with him, he says, well, what's the problem? Well, she spends too much money on our grown kids and our grandchildren. And I'm done with it. I'm ready to, ready to file the divorce papers. And my friend sits there talking with his golf buddy, and he starts asking him questions. <clears throat> Does your wife work? Yes, she does. Okay, you know she works. Does, well, does, does she spend all her money on the kids or does she contribute to the bills of the house? No, she contributes to the, to the, to the house. Okay. She, she pays bills. I pay some. She pays some. She contributes. Okay. He says, uh, he goes on. And he established that his wife also washes and irons his clothes, fixes his meals, cleans the house, while he plays golf. And they have sex on a regular basis. And my friend says, sounds to me like you're living like a king. 
And guys, isn't that just the example of it? Is That is the way we think. We have all these good things going on for us. And we choose to focus in on one thing we don't like. One thing we don't like. Our light and momentary troubles. You see, guys, that's what the resurrection helps to give me perspective on. Gary, what if you go bankrupt? I'll have to find a new place to live. I'll have to find a new way to make a living. I'll have to find new work to do. But what if that means you live at a considerably lower income level than what you are used to? I don't have many years left. Seriously. But one day I'm going to live forever. I want to put it in perspective. Guys, whatever bugging you, whatever, whatever eats you up, whatever gets in your way of enjoying life, of having a peace-filled life, I guarantee you when you put it in perspective of eternity, it's nothing. It's nothing. And guys, I believe when we begin to fully understand the implications of the resurrection, we will begin to have the perspective that our troubles, the things that eat us up right now, are light and momentary. Guys, I want to close out with Romans chapter 5. And this is what it says. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering." Let me reread that. We also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. You see, guys, we have spent the last year, or this year, and our theme for the year as a church has been the mission. And when you think of the mission, you think about, okay, they're going to talk about inviting people, they're going to talk about making disciples. They're going to... And guys, that's, that's part of our mission. But it goes much deeper than that. Okay, if we're going to make disciples the way Jesus wants... We're going to have to live a life that attracts people to us. I heard, 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 overheard a conversation that Tim had with, with uh, someone here at Greater Alton that was looking to be... Uh, to, okay, it was Susan Gaber. Hi, Susan. Susan is, is, is preparing to, to do some of our wounded heart classes that we've had in the past. She's been working with Stephanie Gill um, and... She's going to take those over. And she was getting with Tim. And she was talking with Tim. And I hope I communicate this accurately. She was asking you, Tim, how do I be a leader? How do I be a leader? And the answer that I heard third hand was, you need to be a follower. You need to be a follower. And guys, that is just the truth of the matter. If we are going to fulfill our mission of telling other people about Jesus, of making disciples. We have to be followers. 
Can you imagine telling some people, come in and say, come on, you need to come experience the power of Jesus. He can help you overcome all your sins. He can put your problems in perspective. But you're not doing it yourself? You know, that power is not available to you? You are worrying and you're not at peace? See guys, I want to encourage you. I believe with all my heart that there's a whole lot more to the Christian life than what most of us experience. There's a lot more power available to overcome sin. There's a whole lot more peace available instead of worry. And there's a perspective, an eternal perspective, that makes all of our problems light and momentary. And guys, when we start living that individually, we are going to have people asking, what do we have? What are we about? And guys, we're going to fulfill the mission that Jesus has for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for what You've made available to us. Father, I've been looking at this for years, and I'm slow to learn. Father, I can only begin to start putting into words what this power You have available to me is all about. And Father, I believe part of that reason is because I'm only starting to really understand it and apply it in my life. Father, we've looked at the last two weeks that Jesus' resurrection is part of the resurrection and that we have got to have an accurate understanding of that. Father, if we don't, our good news really isn't good news. Father, I want us to experience and to live the good news because we understand the resurrection. And Father, I want to pray that You open our eyes to it. Father, in this room right now, I'm sure there are people who are going to walk out the door and forget. There's people who are going to walk out and want to look at this deeper. Father, I pray You'll touch our eyes and our hearts and our minds as we go through our week. That something said today, that some Scripture looked at today will trigger our minds as we go through our life and we begin to see what's going on. Maybe it's someone who's, who's dealing with a struggle with a habitual sin. And this week a light bulb goes off and they see the wrong thought that's there and they see your thought. And they're able to choose. Father, I want us to be people who live a powerful, victorious, peace-filled life. Father, help us to do that. Amen.